Matthew chapter 28. If you didn't bring your Bible, you don't have it on your phone or our tablet or whatever, that's just fine. We'll have it on the screen for you to follow along verse by verse today. Now, before I jump in, I've got to acknowledge that this is a very, very special weekend um, on our Christian calendar. In fact, I would say uh, that this Sunday is probably uh, the biggest Sunday of the year. It's Resurrection Sunday. I love Easter Sunday, but I got to be honest, I also feel a lot of pressure on these days. See, I know, I know, I've got to be preaching to some in here today who really aren't sure they even want to be here. You know what I mean? You got that, hey, you can't skip church on Easter speech. You got it last night. You were told that Easter is the one time out of the whole year our family goes to church together. You got to be there. And if Jesus chose that that he wasn't going to stay in the grave, then you don't need to stay in bed. So I'll see you tomorrow at nine o'clock. I know of one such conversation that actually took place this morning between a husband and a wife. The wife was upstairs getting ready and she thought her husband was doing the same. And she walked out of the bathroom, peeked downstairs, and the husband was still sitting on the couch in his pajamas eating Captain Crunch. So she said, why aren't you getting ready? We need to go. We got to go to Easter Sunday. And the husband said, I don't want to go to church on Easter. Well, why? Husband said, there's three reasons. Number one, there's too many people there that I don't even know if they like me. Number two, everyone's going to be suspicious of me, what I do and what I say. Number three, I just don't like the pressure of all those people. The wife said, well, first, that's not true. Some people there actually do like you. Number two, The suspicion is mainly in your head. You're overthinking this thing. Number three, you're the pastor. You have to go. (laughs) It's my wife and I's conversation an hour and a half ago. So I know how you feel if you're a little hesitant to be here today. Speaking of my wife, last night I was sitting at the table. She knows the pressure of preaching on a big day like this, especially when I'm preaching the same message twice to two different, different crowds. So she comes behind, comes behind me and she puts her arms around me and, and she just says, I love you. And I'm praying for you. And, and I, I just want you to know that you're going to do great tomorrow. And she said, honey, just, just relax when you get in the pulpit tomorrow. Just relax. Take a deep breath and relax. Don't try to be funny. Don't try to be witty. Don't try to be intellectual. She said, just be yourself. I'm not sure what she's trying to say about myself. But all joking aside, this is it today. The resurrection of Jesus is everything. If the resurrection actually happened, and we believe it did, then it's game on for all Christians around the world today. If it didn't happen, it's game over for all of us today. And everything else we believe is, is just a waste of time. Literally, church and and friends, everything rests on the fact that Christ rose from the grave. That's what we're going to study from Matthew chapter 28. Before I read our text, I want to introduce the characters of the story. Of course, the main character is Jesus Christ himself, who rose from the grave. But then there's two women, both named Mary. There's the chief priests, who are the ones who originally pressed the charges against Jesus for blasphemy. There's the soldiers who were placed in charge of guarding Jesus' body 
at the tomb. And finally, there's the disciples who are Jesus' closest followers. All of these characters had a different response to the resurrection of Christ. And Matthew shows us what their response was. So as I read the first 17 verses of this text, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see who you most relate with today. Maybe you'll be like the women. Or maybe you'll be like the chief priest or the soldiers or the disciples. Throughout my message, I want you to find yourself in this story and ask yourself repeatedly this question. How am I currently responding to the resurrected Christ? Understanding from God's word that Jesus died, he was buried and rose again. How has that affected my life? And how is that currently affecting my life? Follow along as I read Matthew 28, 1 through 17. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, I love this imagery, and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. You seeing that in your mind? It's like the ultimate mic drop. We won. Verse 3, his countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I told you. They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hell. And they came and held them by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city. And showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. The title of my message today is Responding to the Resurrected Christ. I want to begin with studying the response of the two women, both named Mary. The verse says that, that when they found out Jesus was risen, they responded with fear and great joy. The word fear is speaking of the sense of being overwhelmed with the news they just received. I mean, think about it. Part of them had to have been genuinely scared because, well, an angel just showed up unannounced and had a conversation with them. Part of them was probably skeptical because they still hadn't seen Jesus for themselves. Part of them was relieved because, well, their best friend and, and the savior of their sins is no longer dead. Part of them is just trying to process this all in the moment because it's the last thing they expected on their way to the tomb. Frankly, these women are overwhelmed. Yet in the midst of this overwhelming news, they're still able to respond with great joy. 
I believe Matthew's speaking of happiness, anticipation, hope. That's why they ran to tell the disciples about Jesus. They didn't walk. They ran. They were excited. These ladies teach us that no matter how overwhelming your life may become, if you know and believe in the resurrected Christ, you can still have joy through it all. That's the first point. You could respond like the women who were overwhelmed, but joyful about the resurrected Christ. Now think about the implications of the resurrection for just a minute this morning. If you're overwhelmed by some things going on in your life today, and I imagine some that came to church today, uh, you, you put on your Easter best, but there's some things going on in your life that are frankly overwhelming, keep you up at night. I want you to know you can still find joy in what the resurrection means to your life today. Think about this, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Guilt doesn't have, have the last word in our life. Yes, apart from him, we stand condemned in our sin. But because he took the full penalty of sin on the cross and then rose again, there is therefore no condemnation of those of us who are in Christ today. Because Christ rose from the dead, injustice doesn't have the last word. If that's what's overwhelming you today. See, we live in a world where unfair things happen all the time. But, but God is going to overturn all of those bad things and redeem us into a world where all wrongs are righted and all wounds are healed forever. His resurrection makes that possible. Maybe you're just overwhelmed um, by addictions. Habits that you brought with you that you can't seem to kick. Well, because Christ rose from the dead, your addictions don't have the last word in your life. See, in the resurrection, God has released a power on earth that, that, that can renew all that sin has destroyed. And it may be true. Maybe you've messed up your, your marriage or, or your family or your own life because of something you can't say no to. But if that's you today, understand that the resurrection means you can ask God for his strength to overcome. And he will grant you his resurrection power on a daily basis to live free of the sin that binds you. Maybe pain overwhelms you today. Well, Jesus has overcome that as well. See, this world has been described, rightfully so, as a veil of tears where we watch everything we love eventually fall apart. And it's true. Because we live in a fallen world, those things we love do fall apart. Yeah, we lose loved ones. As a result, our family's never the same. Friendships fall apart because our closest friends sometimes betray us, disappoint us, or just simply move away. Our bodies right now are falling apart. Maybe you've watched someone with Alzheimer's in their last terrible days of life. Or someone slowly lose the battle to cancer. It's painful to watch, but the resurrection shows us that this kind of pain doesn't have the last word. Through Christ, we're being redeemed to a place where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more disease, no more crying. Find joy in that today. Maybe you're just in despair. That's what overwhelms you. Listen, as long as Jesus is alive, there's hope for you. Hear me, please. No matter how dark the night may seem to you right now, because Jesus is alive, he can bring the dawn of resurrection into your life. I don't know if you caught it when we were reading our text. But Matthew gives the image of, uh, of, of um, Jesus being resurrected at dawn, he said. That means on Saturday night, the women went to bed in despair. 
tossing and turning in their beds through the night with worry. Kind of like I was last night. But all that changed with the dawn of resurrection. Maybe just the idea of death overwhelms you. Well, listen what the Apostle Paul said about the resurrection of Christ overcoming death for all of us in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at these words. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal uh, must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear death. Christ's resurrection has overcome death. Here's the point of Jesus resurrected. None of these things that cause you grief today, whether that be guilt or injustice or addictions or pain or despair or death. None of these things have the final word. I'll tell you what has the final word. The empty tomb has the final word. And that's why these two women who were overwhelmed with the news, even fearful, could still respond with anticipation, hope and joy because they believed in the resurrected Christ. Let's take a look at a second character in our story. We read about the chief priest. Rather than seeking out the truth about Christ's resurrection when they heard about it, you know what they did? We read it. They paid the guards to lie. They paid the guards to keep it a secret. They paid the guards to make up a story. You know why? Because they didn't want it to be true. Here's the second point. You could respond like the chief priest who closed their eyes to the evidence of the resurrected Christ. I think these chief priests represent those people who secretly know or at least suspect that Jesus is who he says he is. But they come up with reasons not to believe because they don't like the implications of it being true. They might even convince themselves that there are real reasons for doubts. But here's the truth. At the end of the day, they just don't want to believe. You see, if Jesus rose from the dead, it means that he is the resurrection and the life. It means he's the ruler of life. He's the Lord of life. And that means he's earned the right to have absolute say over our lives. Which means that, that, that his agenda trumps our own. It means I can't enjoy my pet sins. I can't spend my money however I want. I can't pursue my agenda as I wish. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he lays claim to all of that. And if Jesus rose from the dead... You know what it means? It means that I don't really have anything to boast about. See, deeply ingrained in us is a desire to set ourselves apart from others, to almost think that we're somehow better at this or better at that. But if Jesus rose from the dead, it's not true. Like everybody else, I was so bad that Jesus still had to die to save me. I'm essentially on the same footing as every other human that has ever walked the face of the earth. So to believe in Jesus takes a humility the chief priests weren't willing to show. A humility that admits you had to be saved like everybody else because you were really no better than everybody else and deserve hell like everybody else. And if Jesus rose from the dead, you know what else I have to admit? 
I have to admit that there may be things he's doing on this earth that I don't like and I don't understand. But he's still in charge. And that's hard for a lot of us, especially if we're angry at God right now, because he didn't do something we wanted him to do. But if Jesus rose from the dead, we have to acknowledge that ultimately he's right and we're wrong. And we have to consent to trust him even when we don't understand. So let me ask you this morning, are you like the chief priest? In your heart, you're convinced that Jesus is probably true. Or at least you suspect that he might be, but you never really press in because you don't like the implications for your life if it is true. We shouldn't read this and say, oh man, how pathetic do these chief priests look? Covering over the resurrection like this, suppressing what they know is true. No, instead of being so hard on them, we need to realize that our own excuses for not coming to Jesus will look equally as foolish and equally as pathetic when viewed from the lens of eternity. Friend, why would you willingly turn away from the evidence of a resurrected Christ who can change your life forever? Just because making him the Lord of your life seems too scary. So far we've seen the women who respond with joy. The chief priest who refuse to believe what they know is true. Let's consider the soldiers now. We read that the soldiers saw what happened. They were guarding the tomb. They witnessed firsthand the angel of the Lord moved the stone. They saw with their own eyes that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Yet when they were offered some money to lie about the whole thing, they took it. And they walked away from an opportunity to believe in Jesus. Here's the third point. You could respond like the soldiers who were too distracted with lesser things to believe in the resurrected Christ. Question. Why turn your back? On what had the potential to become the most important moment in history for a little bit of money. Here's why. Because the distractions of life have a way of keeping us from considering life's most pressing matters. We get so caught up with the temporal things that we never give deep thought to eternal things. Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher who lived 300 years ago or so wrote about the insanity that most people live with in terms of time. He uses the analogy where he says that life is like living in a big ballroom. We're all in this big ballroom, dancing, eating, drinking, having fun, getting carried away, living it up. When all of a sudden the doors of the ballroom burst open and in comes this huge savage monster. He grabs one party guest and just mauls that party guest in front of everybody. Then he grabs their lifeless corpse, drags them out of the ballroom and slams the door shut. Everyone stops and looks at what happens. But then when the door shut, they just go back to dancing and drinking and eating and having a good time. Pascal says that this happens over and over and over. The monster comes in and mauls one person at a time, takes them out and slams the door. Yet the people in the ballroom act as if nothing is happening in spite of the fact that eventually the monster is coming for them. Pascal says that this monster represents our death. And how the average person responds to the reality of death in their life. They just choose to not think about it. They distract themselves with the urgencies of life and the pleasures of life and anything else that would crowd out the thought of their own mortality. They just keep doing life without thinking about the fact that their life is coming to an end. 
This is what the soldiers did the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This is what we do in light of our own death. We distract ourselves with lesser things so that we don't have to think about the most pressing things. I just read where the University of Kansas led the way in cutting edge research about death. They recently released this outstanding statistic. You ready for this? They say that one out of every one dies. Yeah. It's about how smart the professors are at the University of Kansas. Boomer sooner. Back to Jesus. In all seriousness, the Bible released that statistic over 2,000 years ago. When it said it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. Would you stop long enough to consider that today? You will die. And then you will face judgment. You'll stand before God and you'll give an account of what you did with Jesus. Did you accept him or did you reject him? This is the most pressing matter of your life right now. In fact, here's the most important question you'll ever answer. Do you believe in the risen Christ? Are you trusting in the risen Christ? Are you placing your faith in the risen Christ for your salvation? Or are you distracting yourself with the temporary pleasures of this world so that you don't have to think about it and you don't have to commit to it right now? Friend, the danger of distracting yourself is that you have no idea when your time for death will come. Death won't warn you. Your funeral could be this year. Or it could be 50 years from now. You have no idea. So I'm pleading with you, don't do what the soldiers did. Don't give your life to the temporary pleasures of this world. Because if you do, there's a chance that you'll lose your life for all eternity. Don't suppress what God is doing in your heart because you want to live a little longer your way before totally committing to God's way. Put off distractions. Stop procrastinating and believe in the resurrected Christ right now. There's one more character in our story that I want to consider. That's Christ's original followers, his disciples. These men had full-time careers, families of their own. But when Jesus came to them and invited them to follow him, they literally dropped everything left it all and gave their lives to him. Yet when Jesus died on a cross, they fled. They were so scared that they were next that they went and hid. Some of them returned to their old careers with no intention to return back to preaching the gospel. Yet we read at the end there in verse 16 and 17 how Jesus had set up an appointed place and time for them to meet with him before he sent it back up into heaven. Matthew says when the disciples saw him for the first time after his resurrection at that meeting, They worshipped Christ. But don't miss this. They also struggled with doubting Christ. All at the same time. Here's the last point. You could respond like the disciples who doubted but still worshipped the resurrected Christ. Think about this. The disciples, after everything they experienced with Christ, were still wrestling with doubt. I want to say, come on, guys, you've seen the, the, the nail prints in his hands and his feet. You've touched his physical body. You've had conversations with him and, and you're still doubting. How? Well, the answer is simple. What Jesus was doing or not doing was so confusing to them that they still had many unanswered questions. And the same is true for the Christian today. If you are a believer, doubt is a common experience in the Christian life. Because in spite of having the Bible, there are still some very real questions that we have about the things God has allowed or has not allowed in our lives. 
And those answered questions, as often as you come to church and as well as you know the scripture, those unanswered questions can sometimes be the soil in which doubt grows. You may be here today and doubting. We ask ourselves, why did God allow my loved one to die? Why did God allow me to give cancer? Why did God, why did God allow my husband to leave me? Why did God not allow me to have my own children? Why is God not allowing me to get married? Why did God not allow me to get the job I worked so hard for? See, Christians who know Christ personally can struggle with doubt. Yet in spite of real life doubts, the disciples teach us that we can worship our resurrected Savior through it all. Maybe your loved one has passed and you're lonely or even angry and doubting God's love. I know that pain personally. But here's the good news. Because Christ rose from the dead, you can worship through it. Because His resurrection has made it possible for you to see your saved loved ones again. Maybe God has allowed a disease or some type of chronic pain. And I I genuinely hate that for you. But because Christ rose from the dead, He's proven His power over all disease. He can heal you of your disease even today. And should He not heal you on earth, He's promised to heal you in heaven and give you a brand new body. So worship Him through your pain. If God has seen fit to not let you experience some things that your heart so badly desires, you can still worship him for all that he has given you. Through his resurrection, you've been given abundant life both now and forever, despite the things that you don't have right now. Say thank you for the blessings God has given you. I know that there are some Christians in our midst today who genuinely know Christ. You're disciples, but you're doubting Him. You can relate with the disciples. You've seen it all. You've been to church. You've sung the songs. You've, you've read the scriptures. You've, you've heard the sermons. But what's happened in your life recently has caused so many questions to go unanswered that you can't help but struggle with doubt today. If that's you, you're welcome at Fellowship Baptist Church. Doubts and all. But I want to encourage you to keep on coming. I want to encourage you to see me next Sunday and the Sunday after that. Keep on worshiping. Don't quit on God just because you can't understand him right now. Don't quit on God because life is hard right now. Like the disciples, don't let your doubt crowd out your worship. So who do you relate with most in our story today? Do you relate with the women? You're overwhelmed in life right now. If that's you, be reminded you can still have joy and happiness and hope through Christ. Maybe you relate with the chief priest. You suspect that Christ is real. You suspect his resurrection happened, but you don't like the implications of it for your life. To make him the Lord of your life is a really scary thought and a big commitment to you. And you don't like it. If that's you, would you humble yourself today? Would you surrender the control of your life to Christ? Would you place your faith in God no matter what that means for your life? Do you relate with the soldiers? You know Jesus died for your sin. You rose from the grave. You see that in scripture. He rose from the grave. But you're so distracted with non-spiritual things in your life right now that you just haven't given much thought to your eternity. I believe if you're like the soldiers, God brought you here on purpose. To slow you down long enough to get you to think about the weightier matters of your life. Not your job, not your salary, not your health, not your kids, not your future. I'm talking about your eternity. Your death. If God has spoken to your heart today about these things, could I encourage you to stop putting them off? To stop suppressing what God is so clearly speaking to you about and to make him the Lord of your life before it's too late. 
And then maybe you're a Christian and you relate with the disciples. There are more question marks in your life than explanation points. Can I invite you? Stay with God. If you're coming back to church today for the first time in a long time, welcome back. Jesus invited the disciples that forsook him and fled. They invited him back to Galilee. You know why? That's where he first met him. He said, I know you guys messed up. You turned your back on me. But meet me back at the starting line. We're going to start this thing over. And if you're a doubting disciple, you're welcome in this house of worship. And you keep on coming. A woman by the name of Charlotte Elliott was 32 years old when she became very sick. She was so sick that she was bedridden most days and couldn't even leave her home. She suffered with this illness for the remaining 50 years of her life, leaving her depressed. During her illness, a well-known preacher named Cesar Milan of Switzerland came to visit her. He asked her if she had peace with God. Charlotte, do you have peace with God? She refused to answer the question. In fact, the question repulsed her because she wasn't in the right frame of mind to think about that. But a few days later, she felt really bad about how she treated the preacher. So she called him back to apologize for not answering his question. And then she told him that she felt like she needed to clean up her life before coming to Christ. The preacher then told her five life-changing words. Charlotte, come just as you are. That day, Charlotte gave her life to Christ. And a few years later, she used those five words of the preacher. Come just as you are to pin her own song that we still sing today. Just as I am. The song says, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. We're going to sing that in a moment. And we're going to sing a new chorus to that psalm that says this. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God. Just as I am. No matter where you find yourself in this story today. Overwhelmed like the women. Rejecting the truth like the chief priest. Too distracted to believe the truth like the soldiers. Or simply doubting what you know is true like the disciples. You can come to Jesus today just as you are. And I promise you'll be welcomed with open arms. If you're thankful for that, say amen. Amen. Stand to your feet.